Welcome to Kindly Gifted. I'm your host, Kate Tarantiva, and I can't wait to unwrap the world of influence with you. Every day, your gifted episodes, see what I did there, to help you become fluent in the business of creativity and learn the best kept industry secrets to creating an online presence worth remembering. It's really like having a momager on speed dial. So let's dive into it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Nina of Sidewalker Daily. You may have seen them on Instagram, on TikTok, helping creators navigate brand partnerships and scale their influencer business with brand deals. So I'm really excited to talk with Nina today about negotiation, which I know is a scary topic. So before everyone decides to like skirt, skirt out of this episode, you should definitely take a breather, calm down. We are not here to shame or judge you, but rather to help you and teach you and hope for, hopefully get over that anxiety hump that negotiation does provide. So my first thing for you, Nina, is just tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for that intro and having me on. I'm super excited to chat with you and the community today. So my background, interestingly enough, is um, on the brand side. I started working on influencer marketing campaigns in 2016 for different tourism boards and hotels, different PR agencies consulting. Um, my business partner and I started Sidewalker daily around then. And one of the biggest things I found in my outreach to different creators was the lack of just overall business acumen. And I think that kind of goes like a little bit expected. Like there were these amazing photographers. They're so creative. They're so cool. I was like, oh my God, you guys are just cool. You know, when people have it, I'm like, they're, you guys are amazing. But when it came to the business side, contracts, um, negotiating, or just overall etiquette, I guess. And on that, that side, I think because when we started, things were just so new. Um, I realized a big gap in the market for like creator education and not to be like a total, you know, education snob. Um, my business partner has her law degree. She has her GD. I have my MBA. Like I've always loved teaching and especially people with passion and create, you know, that have that creative spirit. Cause I see a lot of myself within that as well. So that's kind of how we transitioned or got started starting off on brand side, seeing a gap in the market again, before 2016, right before, um, TikTok was around before a lot of Instagram influencers were even getting paid. The market was valued really low then. I don't even think at a billion. Now we're at 22 billion four years later. <laughs> so we're that's kind of us in your in a nutshell, helping you know influencers and creators on the brand side, um, or giving them that brand side perspective when it comes to not only pitching, but just like similar to you, looking at your business as a whole and building a sustainable business, right? Whether that be brand partnerships or all the other things you may want to add to your revenue streams. Um, so that's a little bit about us. Like we, we say we're on both sides of the equation, um, brand side and creator side. And we're I love that. I love like meet in the middle. I'm like good partnerships where everyone's happy. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's definitely a hopeful thing. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's very rare as you know. 
Um, but I would say because you have interacted with so many creators at this point, what are some things that you've noticed, maybe some behaviors that, that creators specifically exhibit around negotiating? Yes, this is, that's a great question. There is a positive correlation in like an up, if we could draw a little bar graph in the amount a creator negotiates, the better they get at it. Right. So it is totally a muscle to be flexed. Um, I think when you're starting at ground zero, there tends to be a lot of nerves. There tends to be a lot of apprehension and fear. And I think it's all in the mind because when you don't value yourself as a creator or know your value, you think they're doing you a favor. So the creator is like, oh, you know, the brand by working with me, like they're doing me a favor, like without even saying that out loud, it's like in the brain. And that sets you off to not feel as an equal. You're not like, actually, I'm bringing, you know, a certain set of eyeballs to the table or a certain set of skill set to the table. That confidence isn't built yet because with normal life, you haven't had to flex that muscle. So it, the good news is, is if you're at ground zero, the only way up is up. And it's really something that the more you practice at and the more you start realizing your worth and your value, then you'll be able to say, wait a second, I want to negotiate because if I don't do it, who will? If right. I stand up for myself, who is going to for me, right? Um, and I think that's kind of like the self-care talk we have to have with ourselves <laughs> when we're starting up because the, to your point, the, the people who are starting, they're nervous and they don't feel comfortable with that counter or saying anything. Okay, I'll just take, I'll just take it. I'll be grateful. They could work with someone else. Why me? Right. And I think the imposter syndrome comes through and, you know, all the things. Um, so that's kind of where we're at from a behavior standpoint, obviously fearful. I don't think I ever really meet anyone who's like, I love it. This is amazing from at the beginning. Once they're like good at it, they're like, Oh, like, yes, this feels awesome. Like, and almost to the fact, Kate, and this is, this is getting a little TMI, but if a creator will get an insane deal, like insane, and the brand doesn't negotiate with them, they're like, oh, could have gotten more. Think about it. If a brand, I love that. You, and you, and you say, okay, I want 10,000 and they just accept, they're like, okay, you will second guess that rate. You'll say, I should have asked for more because they said, okay, right away. Right. So they're like cat and mouse energy between creator also and brand side, like it almost helps you feel okay with your rate. Cause I'm telling you, if you're just starting or if you're out there and you're negotiating, I know you can agree that once a brand accepts your rate at the first shot, you feel like you could have asked for more. Yeah. Um, and that's psychology. I don't know. I need to go study psychology. I'm very <laughs> interested in that. No, but it's encouraging because you mentioned the journey of the beginning and feeling a little anxious and feeling like you're doing a big favor to this brand. And like you, well, how can you pass up on this opportunity and you're starstruck? It just takes practice. I think people think that like some people are just gifted with negotiation skills and that may be, but it's a muscle to flex. It's something to learn. And I think that should be inspiring to anybody on the other side who feels a little like, oh my God, I don't know how to navigate this, which leads me to my next question. I have been part of conversations where creators will feel the need to hire somebody else to do the negotiations for them. And usually earlier than they should, they'll be like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to look at my friend who has an agent or who has a manager or who has an assistant. And I'm just going to find one of those people and then outsource the negotiations to that person. What are your thoughts 
uh, on that. And like, is that a good strategy? Is that something that maybe creators need to be learning on their own? Yeah, I, I love this because I'm going to be annoying and say case by case, but I am going to give examples. So I do love this question because the question is, should I outsource a weakness, right? I'm not good at something. Should I outsource it? And we hear so many, you know, so many pieces of advice, like from coaches and entrepreneurs saying outsource your weaknesses, focus on your brilliance. Like we hear this day in and day out. And I think there is truth to it, but it's also like a budget issue and a capacity issue. Like some people just financially cannot afford to do so. Mm-hmm. And if you're, so th- for those people, I'm like, how can you like train someone if you yourself don't know, you have to be able to kind of as a CEO in your biz, you're not expected to be able to do everything, but you are expected to kind of have like your fingers in multiple pots and know one of the interesting things, Kate, someone, um, in my community, like a lot of creators are hiring assistants. And the biggest thing is I want someone to negotiate for me. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like how much are you willing to pay that person? They're like, oh, 20 an hour. I'm like, okay, so you want an entry level person, you know, our assistant to do this like high end shark negotiating for you, but you won't, there's something there. You may have to pay more, right? You may have to find someone that's a qualified agent, has experience, can read contracts, then pay that person their worth to be able to do so. If not, if you're going for a lower level priced assistant entry level where you're paying minimum wage, 20 an hour, I think is minimum wage now in so many places is, okay, well then you have to be able to train this person. So how can you train them? So I'm not against outsourcing. I'm all about outsourcing actually. Our team just hired someone else yesterday. I love bringing people in and I think that's the only way to scale. But I do think that if it's a fear-based um, sort of energy that you're like, well, I'm afraid to do it. Let me bring someone else. Then you're going to have to know the costs associated with a quality person because those people, they will charge, you know, an hourly or whatever to get paid that. And it's so, and I'm sorry to go on, but someone else recently was like, well, what if they just got a commission of my deals? I'm like, well, do you want to work like that? Like, do Oh you- my God. I could go on and on. This is exactly the reason. Well, one of the reasons why I was like, I'm not managing anymore because from a manager's perspective, it's just not scalable at all. You're doing all of these different things and you're being paid 20% of a brand deal that may or may not happen. Totally. So that's like crazy to me. It's like, you guys don't want, and I, and I'm tough love with my creators, right? I'm like, you don't want to work for free, but you want to bring on a really smart human. Maybe someone like Kate, who has a shit ton of experience. You don't want to pay them. You want to give them a cut. I mean, guys, we have to, we have to think like logically and like thoroughly through it. So short answer, open to outsourcing, totally down, pay that person what they're worth then, um, because you're not going to find that at like a lower level entry beginner or, um, you know, and also flex the muscle for a bit. I think for creators who are advanced, they don't need to be negotiating on them on their for themselves. Like they're at a different level, but they're bringing in enough money to maybe like have a team to support them. So I hope that kind of answered. Yeah, you're basically saying that you know, it, it does vary case by case, but mostly like if you have a ton of experience, then at least you can hire somebody and you can train them. If you have a ton of experience, that means you're probably making more money so you can actually pay that person. Or if you're like, I don't want to learn this. I'll just hand it over to somebody else, which people do do, and sure. then be willing to actually compensate whoever you're handing that over to their worth. Because we see lawyers who are charging like three fifty for a thirty minute consult. Yeah, 
And those are negotiation experts literally trained in law school. Yeah, it's like just being able to understand if you want a high quality human on your side that already knows this and right. they're bringing something to you, the fees and like it's more expensive, right? To have someone negotiate for you versus you understanding some tactics here and there um, when you're first starting off, of course. This is all for people who are just starting off. If you're at a different level, um, you're, you probably may have someone that does this on your behalf and you may have like a good equitable system set up so that it's a win-win because partnerships need to be win-win, whether it's between you and a brand or right. you and your manager or whoever, like we can't be feeling stiffed here because um, <laughs> that just doesn't feel good for anyone. No, 100%. When somebody is just starting out negotiating, or maybe they like have just recently gotten their feet wet. They're not super comfortable. What is the thing that you're like, this is now my top piece of advice when it comes to negotiation. Top piece of advice when it comes to negotiation. Okay. There oftentimes it's easy for a brand or anyone to say no first. Mm. So no, no, is just an easy answer. No, we don't have budget. No, we're not looking for someone. No, you know, we're only doing gifted, <laughs> whatever. Right. And no, just tends to be like, the templated answer. Mm -hmm. If it's not a hard no, I always say there's like maybe a little bit of egg to crack, um, a shell to crack. What I love to tell creators for negotiation tactics, and I really, I have a negotiations course. So I really dive super into this in our pitching course. It comes with a whole section on negotiations. But one of the things that I think is really strong is this term called polite justification. And what that means is actually showing what goes into the work to justify the fees around it. So for example, if I say to you, um, I'm going to do one YouTube video, two stories and a blog post. You're like, oh, you're going to charge like so much for that. That's crazy. If I'm like one YouTube video, which includes SEO research and script writing, one round of revisions, two calls with the client, thumbnail cover, um, choo, 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 like all the things that go into the, the pieces of content that you're doing, like yeah. even a reel, people are like one reel, $2,000, the brand's like, wait, what? But when you break down what goes into shooting this reel or what goes into shooting whatever it is, there are hours and hours of work. So this justification measure, I think also helps educate brands on the workload that goes into it, like even bundling in client calls, like two, you get up to two calls, two 30 minute sessions before the content goes live, you know, and one, you know, and a brainstorm discovery call. Like those are 30 minutes of your time should be bundled in to the fee of what you're choosing. So my advice to creators when you are negotiating and you're getting resistance is to justify through like explaining what goes into the work. And I think you'll find you're able to kind of break through that barrier a bit, soften them and open up the floor for negotiations. That's definitely a good strategy because like you said, the average brand is unsure and maybe wary or maybe they're thinking in terms of ROI. Yeah. Do you and think that when it comes to negotiations, that it's very helpful to try to build a relationship with people in terms of like hopping onto calls. Does that help from what oh you've seen in your experience? Absolutely. Like from an energy game, like just being in touch with someone energetically, like how can you do that on email? It's so flat. Um, the best pitches, just hearing someone's voice, someone's vibe, like connecting, you know, even me and you, like I'm like, oh, like I see her on TikTok, but like talking to her, I'm like, oh, it's like, I, you know, you can feel people. So that <laughs> call, 
that idea of jumping on a call softens negotiations. It creates a human, more of a human experience, humanized. You're able to jump on, smile, shine, be warm, be magnetic, like let the brand know that you're not a groupie, but you're a professional. So when it comes to negotiating, now you're in a place that's like, oh, okay, well, this person, you know, clearly not, knows their value, knows their worth, knows knows what to bring. And not only things like getting on a call, but having professional pitching materials, having a, you know, personal branding, right? Like knowing the why, but also visually showcasing how, how professional and how, like how it you are. I don't know how to explain it, but like if a really good looking media kit comes through the door, I'm like, Oh, this person knows their brand. Like they know their worth. They are setting themselves up in a way that makes me attracted to them and then you get on the call you feel their energy and you know hopefully the creators that come through my program they understand this concept of sending proposals because negotiating on one firm like set package is very different than if you offer multiple packages at multiple price points to allow mm -hmm. people to kind of find oh well this works or you know here's my entry level beginner rate my beginner pricing for new first time clients right um versus you know, my mega package. Um, and when we talk about negotiating, the biggest and one of the most important things is who speaks first. Who speaks first when it comes to money? And I think creators, when they get on a call, if a brand puts you on the spot and they're like, well, how much would that be? You don't have to answer that on the spot because you were asked it. You can take a second to say, well, based on the deliverables you said, I'm going to have to, you know, I'd be happy to create a proposal for you guys based on the notes that I have from our call today. You know, I don't have a set fee because it really, you know, I know that you mentioned X, Y, Z, so I'll put something together. Like you can pivot out of being pushed against the wall and your goal is to try to get them to speak first because whoever speaks first price anchors. They're anchoring the price. So they're setting the tone of what the proposal will look like. And mm -hmm. it's always chicken and an egg. The brand doesn't want to say it. The influencers, no one wants to say it first, right? So what I love to do or what I love suggesting the creators and our program to do is ask the brand partner, like, is there a number I should stick under, like hover around because, you know, I'm sending out multiple proposals. I just sent out like a $15,000 proposal yesterday. I don't want to send you something if it's not in your budget and you're price anchoring by saying that number 15,000 or whatever it is that you're. And it gets them to be like, oh, okay, well, maybe you could stick to around three. And when they tell you three, you don't just send them a proposal for three, right? You start at three. So again, when I say three, 3,000. So it's, there's these little tactics that you can start to tweak and learn. But again, you don't learn it in theory. It's like, you know, you learn it in practice. You learn it on the field. You can study football till the cows come home. You're not playing the game. You're not going to learn how to do these, you know, this the movement so to speak <laughs> yeah that was going to be my next question in terms of a lot of brands are not interested to give out their budget because they want to secure as many creators as possible for a lower rate what are some other suggestions that you have if a brand is very reluctant to give their budget yeah. how do you navigate that kind of conversation yeah if they're reluctant give options you know have a mid-tier a low entry point and a higher one and also, you know, when you have options, it gives them the option to be like, okay, well, this is what we could get for an entry point price middle. And, you're, and you don't want it to be like, 
1,000, 5,000, 30,000. That's a little insane. So you need to keep your price points like kind of hovered. What's the high? What's the low? What's the medium? And I know people think, oh, well, they're going to choose my low. That's not necessarily true. I have so many creators that have tested, like have given us so many testimonials saying they went for my highest package. And if I didn't include it, I wouldn't have even like known that that was an opportunity. So right. don't be afraid to kind of give what you want and you know, what the work is worth. Right. Absolutely. I think that having three tiers is very smart because you also end up guiding them towards that middle tier as well. There's a bigger chance that they're going to do middle or higher then they're going to pick the lower one. Cause they're going to look at the lower one and be like, Oh, that's not enough. So they're going to look at middle and be like, Oh, that's a seems like pretty reasonable. The high may be a little too much for some brands. So usually it feels like they pick somewhere in the middle. I remember hearing a story um, of how essentially Starbucks created their grande beverage. Grande is now the most popular size in Starbucks because the venti feels like a lot. The tall feels like not enough. And so everybody yeah. goes for the grande. Yeah. It's the same thing. Find your grande package. Yes. <laughs> But I love that. I think that's so smart in terms of negotiating with brands. Does it take practice to be able to predict if a brand is not going to be interested in negotiating or how do you navigate a conversation when the brand is very firm on their budget and their price? And it seems like there's no wiggle room. What do you recommend for creators? Yeah. If there's no wiggle room on price, maybe there's wiggle room on deliverables like received. So that's another way you can negotiate is like, okay, well, instead of this many number of stories or reels or TikToks, I'm going to lower that. Or maybe I'm going to lower my exclusivity clause, or maybe I'm going to lower my usage. Like, you know, you can keep, you can find spaces to negotiate that is not money-based, like work within their budget, but like remove certain things that will feel like you're getting taken advantage of, you Mm. know, from a deliverable perspective. Like, okay, well, I'm not going to let you guys do X, Y, Z, you know, you can use it on social, not on your website or whatever, you know, you can get creative on that side. Right. So essentially you're saying if you feel like you have to sacrifice where you you can't get the budget that you need, then they should also have to essentially sacrifice in terms of deliverables or other categories. One thing too, like similar to price anchoring is the follow-up. Like you need to give them space. Like do not be thirst McGurse, like going after it. It's almost like that space shows your value too. Like if you get too like hungry in the follow-up, you have to follow up on proposals. I've gotten ghosted on proposals and they've asked me for them. That's the craziest part. They're like, please send a proposal. I send it to ghost. So ghosting happens guys. Okay. At all levels of the pitching process. Um, <laughs> even once you sign the contract, they can still ghost you and not show up. So ghosting is, you know, part of the game. Um, but I do think that when you are, when you are pitching or negotiating or anything of that nature, like don't follow up so quickly, like give their, let there be some space, some silence, let them kind of come to you. I think that, I think that's important as well. And also knowing when to walk away, right? Like also knowing when to say no, like there's a a beauty in saying no to money. It is really hard. But again, once you learn, like we say no to money all the time, especially like cheap bullshit work, like the amount of time it's going to take me to do something, even go over a contract does not even fit like my hourly rate. So like, why am I going to do something for cheap? Like you also have to know when to walk away. Even they're like, Oh God, you know, it's a thousand dollars. That would be nice. Nah, not worth the time. You know, if they can't, you know, maybe 
some creators are at a level that are like, I'm not working for less than this number. Like what's your get out of bed rate? Because it's just not worth it. Like actually for you, you could bring in revenue in other ways. Do you think creators aren't saying no enough? I think that people may not be saying no enough because of, I think beginner creators may not be saying no enough. But I think as you realize, like there's money to be made in this space, you actually end up pitching less, you have less partners, and you have more longer term partners. Like one of the girls in our community, she just signed two, you know, six month partnerships. So she is from an income standpoint, she doesn't need to have three brands she's working with a month now, like she is in a different zone. Mm -hmm. So the more advanced you get, the less number of brands you'll probably work with because you're getting paid higher and like you're building out a more like robust system, maybe longer term payments. You have more like financial security. I think when you're first starting creators aren't saying no, because they're trying to get the work and you know, to each his own. Like, that so, is, yeah. So you gotta get the work. yeah. <laughs> In terms of gifted, there's this very popular negotiation tactic going around the internet where you have to take gifted partnerships, especially with brands that you genuinely want to work with. So let's say it's like Skims or Abercrombie or something of that sort. You really want to work with those brands. You have to take gifted if they offer you gifted, because if you do, then you can build a relationship with them through that gifted partnership. What are your thoughts on that? Does accepting gifted guarantee or, or anything close to that the fact that like you will have a paid partnership out of it what is from your experience having also worked on the brand side like what how does that translate to brands what is the whole gifted situation and does that ever really actually convert to paid so it does convert to paid because i've seen it firsthand convert to paid but again when we try to clump every brand into one we're not doing anyone any favors um, recently a creator, a TikToker got a diaper bag for free. She was like, fuck, I don't want to do it for free. Did it gifted, did amazing, went back, got paid 2,200 for the next set of TikToks she was going to create. Literally. Um, are these Cinderella stories? I don't know. Are these one in a million? I don't know. Um, I feel like the tides are just turning in such a way that gifted is going to be kind of, and I think we talked about this when I interviewed you for mine or maybe in a friend combo, but it's kind of like the internship of like, when, remember when everyone worked for free at like Vogue and everyone thought that was like normal and like, yeah, we did talk gifted. about this on your podcast. Yeah. I'm like, wait, so this is normal. Like, you know, and then one, one day someone was just like, wait a second, this is not normal. Actually, you should not be doing working at, you know, magazines for free. And that whole thing changed. And now, and now, um, interns have stipends and they have you know certain like I think laws were created I don't think the laws are being created as fast as social media is moving so there's a gap like so there are instances that yes the creators that get a gifted collaboration do have an in um, but there are also those same instances that the girl the person who got something gifted will never get paid from that brand as well um I do think that depending on the company size, the people that manage the gifted partnerships are probably different than the people that maybe manage your um, paid partnerships. You don't know, smaller companies, maybe it's one person doing everything. Um, I don't like to tell people like what to do in their business. Don't ever do gifted. I have creators with millions of followers, celebrities, Netflix celebrities, creators that are doing, you know, 
getting gifted ex products and experiences. For me, it just always comes down to a value exchange, like a value swap. So if you're getting a $5,000 hotel stay at the Four Seasons, airfare for you plus one and activities and things, and you're like, okay, well, the value of this is relative to the value of what I would do. I want to do this anyways. Okay, maybe you're able to like reconcile. If the value is a jumpsuit for $25 and your work would be worth, I don't know, $1,500, it doesn't match up. So what do you do then? when there's an inequity in where the value is coming from. Right. I, I always, I always tell creators to shoot for paid always first versus then starting with gifted. Like if you want to land on gifted as like your last resort, because you want a case study or you want an in, um, and you think it'd be easier to pitch them a bigger concept. If the content does well, you know, that's on you as a business owner to make those decisions. I know as a business owner myself, I have taken on major clients at a rate that I have not charged, you know, someone else because I'm like, I really want to work with them. And I know that they're going to help me like get other jobs in the future. They're still paid though. I mean, I wouldn't work, but who knows? Some people would work for free, right? For someone that they're like, I would do just to be around this person. So it's super, super case by case. Um, I do think though, ultimately the tides are going to be shifting. And if we did this interview like five years from now, I don't even think like gifted will be like, like actually even allowed in the marketplace. Like, act, like it's like, it'll probably be like marked illegal because it seems <laughs> kind of strange to do things for free and like, accept it. It feels weird, right? Like it, it's kind of like just this normalized thing. It's like Uber getting in the car with a stranger. Who would have thought? Now we're all like, Doo -doo. I know. No, and, and the, I think the issue with, gifted for me specifically is that there's a contract involved and that you are essentially exchanging not just your content for a gift you're exchanging your likeness and your reputation imagine if kim kardashian did that so why the fuck are you like that's how i see it but also i come from the creative industry where no way in hell do you do anything for free because you just get steamrolled so i think it kind of depends on the brand and their reputation it's on the creator to do their research which i think is incredibly important and then the other thing is like is it cosmetics where you're signing to do a gifted partnership having never tried the brand and you have to try it and then it gives you an allergic reaction but too late you're in a contract and you have to now pretend like you like it which is illegal no, that is but those are things that will you know i think the creator needs to arguably speak up and never pretend you like something if not where's the authentic that is a bigger you need to go back to kate's workshop on the why like you cannot <laughs> do things inauthentically like that you know even if you're in contract you know i had a creator go to a property that we were representing and she told us straight up like this is you know xyz was unacceptable and i can't in good conscious post about it and as a pr firm we're like we totally get it like right. we get that so how can we like remedy we found a way to remedy and we were able, because she came to us and was vocal versus going online and raging on us, you know? So I think that there's opportunity to always use your communication skills and your business skills to kind of smooth things out, even if you have, you know, X, Y, Z happen. Um, but yeah, the gifted thing is super shady. It's, I just don't know how much longer it's going to even exist for. 
Um, we're obviously against it, but we don't ever want to judge people for things that they do. Right. Because like, honestly, who am I to judge you on anything? Like, I know when I started off my career, like God knows, you know, I don't know. People, people, I work with some of the world's like, again, biggest influencers and they'll like be like, oh yeah, we did like in the beginning, like all the time. Are they getting thrown rocks at? I don't know. The only thing is, is that when you accept gifted, it it just hurts the community in a whole, as a whole, like it hurts everyone, not just you, it just like hurts everyone. Right. But the tides are turning. Mark my words, gifted guys, you're in a good place. It's not going to be a thing any in the, in the we're going to manifest that big change and brands are going to start valuing creators and paying them for their work and time. Even if it's not their influence, at least the time to go into um, production of any sort of content. Yeah, that's definitely true. And and hopefully brands will just kind of put gifted into the same categories they put seeding. And it's like, here, we'll send you some fun product. You can try it. If you'd like it, maybe we can discuss working together. Exactly. If not, we'll go our separate ways. Do you think that when it comes to like contracts, like you were saying with one of the creators you were working with, who, you know, was like, I know I signed this contract for a partnership, but I don't really like this and this and this. We need to change it. Would you encourage more creators to feel less fearful of a contract? You have to really make sure all the details are ironed out before right. you go into bed with someone. Maybe there's a clause that says if it's a beauty brand, if there is like, you know, any sort of reaction where I can, or, or maybe there's some sort of like, not force majeure, but like some sort of clause in the contract that says like, if the prop, you know, if there's something negative that happens, okay, whatever that may be, whether it be on the trip or whatever, both parties to discuss, you know, sort of like exits, like, because I do think that the whole point of a contract is to protect both parties. It's meant to protect the creator and the brand. They're really great to lean on in when you, when things do like kind of hit the fan, because you're like, actually, you, you read this, you signed this, you know, it's not meant to like be like the Ursula you know, signing your voice away. It's actually meant to protect you and the brand. Those are, again, the best contracts in our opinion. And we actually encourage creators to really speak up and truly redline what they need before they sign. I will not lie, like going in after a contract and trying to move things around is just like in any legal nature, just like kind of frowned upon. So it's better to get that before you sign. And if there are situations that arise, like talk to your brand partner, like be human. Like if you had an allergic reaction to my skincare, again, I'm not on that brand, but I would be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Right. Like I would feel bad, but maybe I'm just like human and someone else would be like, well, no, <laughs> I don't know, but that's how I do business. So I just, I always do business from like heart first, human first, be a person, talk things out. If something happened that was unfortunate, so that again, the brand has the opportunity maybe to send you something else from a different line, push the campaign. I don't know, like be, be a person, be a, be a human, you know? That also goes back to your point of getting on calls and that's what can confirm energy. And maybe that call is going to be the thing that will be like, I don't want to work with this brand because I don't think they're going to respect if I need to make changes. If they're difficult before you sign, they're going to be difficult throughout the whole thing. That's another thing too. Like when we talk about saying no, like, oh my God, my business partner, I, we always like joke about that. We always are like, if they're like giving you a hard time now, like. Imagine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> No, there's, I have told creators in, in my community that I'm like, if you really want to work with this brand, 
time to bump up the fees and include an asshole fee. Don't need to tell them about it, but just bump it up because it will make all, <laughs> all of it worth it. You're like, I'm getting paid to deal with your behavior. So yeah. <laughs> And I love that. So I don't call it an asshole fee, but I totally aligned with you on that. For us, it's supply and demand. Do, like, are you fully in demand? Do you need the work? If you need the work, you may need to accept jobs. Again, especially so many people I work with are full-time or trying to be full-time mm -hmm. that they're, if you have a really busy month, you can actually raise your fees to be like, sorry, I'm super busy. I can't even fit it in. If it's crickets over there and you have no one, that's why the fee situation tends to shift. It's a sliding scale because if you're not as busy, you know, you're able maybe to like lower it to get what it is that you need to pay rent, right? Um, but someone else to the asshole fee, it's also like this girl the other day was like, be careful what you wish for. She was like pitching, she got it, she didn't want it. She said she tripled her prices. She still freaking got it. And now she's like, oh fuck. But to your point, now I get three times of what I would have ever done. I don't want it, but now it's worth it. So, okay. Or she can hire someone. What we're doing in this specific case, she can now outsource part of that like grunt work because she got paid in a way that she was able to, you know, take some money from her payment to hire someone to help with the editing of the video or, you know, the SEO keyword research or whatever it is that the brand was needing. So also, when you when you put that asshole fee, you can also have your assistant support you on certain things. There you go. There, yeah, exactly. But this is all super informative, I think, for somebody who is just starting out or getting their feet wet in terms of negotiating and having these conversations. This would be my final question for you. What would you say is something that you wish every creator knew about negotiation? I think we need to normalize hearing no across the board saying it and hearing it if you get a no so effing what right <laughs> like it really just comes down to normalizing hearing it whether it be in the pitch or in the negotiation people are so fearful of that word and they're fearful to say it too once you get comfortable hearing no saying no normalizing that this could you can negotiate and they can disagree you know, or you can walk away or you can accept or you can counter. Once you understand that like no is not the scariest word, right? It's so much scarier to be in something. It's so much scarier to get undervalued. It's so much scarier to get um, trapped in a contract that you will regret for ages because you gave away your likeness or whatever. So expect no's actually. It's a probability game. Pitching and working with brands is um, it's like going to college, you don't need to get into everyone, you need one, right? So like when you're pitching monthly, or you need big partnerships, like it's okay to, to say no to partnerships. Um, and like you, and that amazing quote that we all know, like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Like if you don't try, you won't know. Um, I know it feels like I'm kind of like learning a little bit more about like energies and things of that nature. I know it feels like, like a very masculine energy to be in to like negotiate. And I know for some of us, it's hard to get into that like space, but, um, I do think with practice and with confidence and what it is that you deliver or bring to the table, you'll be able to kind of find your flow and get into it. But Amazing. Um, yeah, no is part of this part of it. Right. And, um, I'll never forget there is um, a story from Rebecca Minkoff when I was before I did this I used to do styling for like New York Fashion Week and one of the big stories in the circuit was you know she would stand in Union Square and hand out flyers to her show 
not as herself. She's like, come to Rebecca's show. Oh, you should come to Rebecca's show. And it just opened my eyes to like, again, if you won't do it for yourself, who will? Like, you can't have your mom, dad, cousin, sister do those things for you. You have to do it for yourself. And the same thing goes in negotiating. Like if you won't stand up for yourself or you won't go into this bad boy seat that you know, whatever, then who will? If not now, when? So I hope that answers your question. Oh, that's such a good answer. Yes. As Chris Jenner says, the momager of all momagers, if somebody says no, you're talking to the wrong person. So oh, yes, I like that. <laughs> but I love this conversation and and thank you for taking your time to to chat with us about negotiation. Hopefully people walk away feeling a little more confident and encouraged and know that there are other people that have been in your shoes if you're just starting out. Don't be too quick to outsource and really understand this process yourself. And if you need some help, Nina's always there to help you out (laughs) (laughs) with her course and community and all of their resources on negotiation. Her co-founder is a lawyer. So (laughs) I had negotiations there. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys. And um, I'll leave you with this, Kate, too. And I'll send you some some resources that you can share with your community. But we do host a training on, you know, how to get these paid brand deals and how to work with brands. So I'll leave you that link as well. So if anyone is looking to um, come to one of our next trainings, they're always live. They're not recorded. So I get to be there and answer questions and stuff. And it's fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning in to Kindly Gifted. To support the podcast, please leave a review, share with your friends, and don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow me on TikTok at Kate Mob for more creative secrets from the internet's momager. See you on the next episode of Kindly Gifted.